This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, March 5th, 2022. And it is another grand, glorious, and great day in this awesome republic of ours. Dornall, a lot of bad news around the world today, which uh, legitimately makes me so, so sad. And I'm glad we could provide an hour and probably 10 minutes of entertainment for our awesomely educated and unusually intelligent audience, if I can get my tongue untwisted and uh, unstuck from the roof of my mouth. How was your week, man? Hey, my week's great. Since you brought it up, I'm going to mention I have uh, stepped away from frivolous internet this past week, and the timing couldn't be better. Apparently, there's bad news around the world, but everything's good here. I, You've stepped away from the internet, and I got kicked away from the internet last night. Are you banned I got, again? I got Ban from Twitter. And this time it wasn't even a 12-hour, 24-hour ban. Because you remember last time I got a 12-hour ban that mysteriously turned into two 12-hour bans with abruptly no warning. This time I got a week ban, a week ban starting last night. So I'm I've been off Twitter now, or will be off Twitter. Twitter has said you are undesirable. We don't want you on our site. The dumpster fire of the internet, okay? The ghetto of the internet. The graffiti-ridden slum of the internet with tents lining the street and homeless people shooting up crack <laughs> into the eyeballs of the internet has decided that I am too... Scummy to have on their site, okay? <laughs> That's how bad whatever it was I posted is. They want me off, Ugh. off the internet, off of Twitter for a week. And we're just hoping it doesn't turn into a two-week ban. Well, um, I'm on I'm on uh I'm on my 12th 30-day ban on Facebook right now. Um so I'm in the gulag again. If you want to join my gang for protection, uh, you know, we have like a, whenever we go in the gulag, you know, you, you want to like establish dominance. You do have to get a face tattoo, though. Uh, but it's, don't worry, it's classy. It's a manatee. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. I, I can't oh, wait uh, to see yours. I'd love to see that. Is there a Shiv of the Month club there? Yes. <laughs> yes, you join my Shiv of the Month club, and every month we supply a quality Shiv for all your stabbing needs. I mean, in December, we get a, you get a real silver spoon. Just perfect. Well, before that, there was, see, before I showed up in the Facebook group, there was the Dollar Shiv Club. Uh, but Dollar Shiv was just cheap, and we took them out. So it's Shiv of the Month. Steve was, Steve one, oh, I got to point this way. Steve one time was my, uh, uh, my employee of the month. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, uh, we, uh, yeah. However, the the good thing is, and, and I can say this because ahead of time, it's going to uh, explain something abruptly in just a minute or two. I can say this, that uh, 
it will give me a lot more time to work next week. Uh, and the reason why that's actually topical for the show is our guests who I'm going to introduce in just a minute just had a new book come out and a new audio book come out. And I was bound and determined to read it before the show so I could intelligently discuss it. But um, last night, instead, I got into a work jag and I kept on working till like three in the morning. Um, and so I didn't finish the book. Um, but now that I don't have to go on Twitter, that part of my job has been put on hold for the next week. So I can actually finish other stuff in addition to work. Uh, speaking of which, folks, you may have noticed the names on the bottom of the screen. Those are not accidents. Uh, we have Steve Diamond and Larry Korea. Larry, believe it or not, for the second time, low seven years ago, um, when the show was brand spanking new, came on uh, on Geek Gab, um, they have just released a brand spanking new book uh, that is available at all the better bookstores, all the real bookstores. And you may ask how I determine these are real bookstores. I determine they're re real bookstores by whether or not they carry the book. If they don't carry the book, they are not, in fact, real bookstores. It's a quick rule of thumb you can check. Yeah, um, I don't really do well in bookstores that, like, have – if they're selling healing crystals at the counter or, like, yoga-scented candles, no. Uh, yeah, no, I don't do well in those stores. But most stores, most stores I'm at. So they are uh, here to discuss um, their new book and to discuss, uh, which I'm going to pull out from my sleep-deprived brain. I wasn't kidding. I was up till three in the morning, and so I didn't. My brain is just battered into pieces. But servants of war. That's right. Oh, they're nodding. That means I must have got it right. <laughs> um. <laughs> They're not, they're not looking mean and killer. And and uh, Larry owns a Tetsubo. So, you know. Oh, man, I would have really... gone. It's upstairs. I would have had it here for the broadcast if I'd known I needed special effects. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so you know, he really can do damage. So, anyways, we're going to discuss their book and whatever else comes up along in the discussion. Um, and then, of course, Steve Diamond is here on the show because he's the – uh, author, uh, and he has graciously allowed Larry along for the ride with his. That's right. In the novel. That's right. Um, we have. Uh, this is your spot. This is your spot to jump in, John. I'm sorry. I'm blown away. I'm trying to think what is the geek gap going to be like now that we've introduced props. Uh, I don't have a Tetsubo <laughs> or anything, but um, I'll get something good and I'll turn on the I'll turn on the camera. You don't oh. have a sword on a wall hanger? <laughs> Look, man, I gave up all my nerd cred a long time ago. Oh, that's right. 
John called I, you a fake geek girl last week, or a fake geek guy, or something, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, because I didn't, I did, I don't. My knowledge of comic books isn't isn't vast. No, I turned in my my nerd cred card. Uh, I don't do swords on the wall. I don't do T-shirts with logos and things. I just, <laughs> I've done. I'm 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 plain I'm plain T-shirts <laughs> and uh, and no swords here. Sorry, guys. I am I geek enough for the geek gab anymore? Who knows. <sighs> Anyway, I can I can bring up this page for you guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna move you guys uh, beautiful faces over and share this screen in a second. Um, so this is this is cool. Uh, just so that you guys know, uh, I like to talk about me sometimes, and I am not a reader. So uh, this is cool news to me. Um, I did read full disclosure. I read uh, the first uh, Monster Hunter International book. It's uh, okay. Uh, be <laughs> because uh, because it was uh, free on Amazon as, as a promotion. I was like, okay, cool. Finally, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read this. Um, and that's it. I, I don't do a lot of reading. So this is really exciting for me. I'm rambling now. Someone's, someone save me. Tell me about Servants of War. Oh, I say, don't feel bad. I don't read anymore either. <laughs> Gosh, it's so – I always feel guilty. Like every time I pick up a book and I start reading it, I, I actually feel a little guilty. Um, I have a full-time day job, uh, and so any any minute that I get to write is is a good minute. And so if I spend that minute reading instead of writing, I like I, – I get all this self-guilt, and I'm just a mess. So <laughs> That's hard. Is, is, that, is that sort of a – uh, really, is is that a result of working for yourselves? Uh, it is. I've gotten to the point where yeah. I, I have to force myself to read because what happens is if the book is bad at all, I have uh, my brain starts editing it as I go and I start thinking how I would change it or fix it. Uh, and then if the book's really good, I find myself thinking, wow, okay, that's clever. I see what you did there. Oh, that was a smooth move, you know? And I don't uh, – so, so as far as just like enjoying books – Oh man, if you still want to enjoy books, don't start writing professionally all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Um cuz this is know, all I do is books. Uh, yeah, so I, it's just yeah, it's weird. I used to, and I used to be a reviewer um back in the day, back in the olden times. Um I used to I used to run elitist book reviews and there was one year in which uh it, it was a crazy year. I read 150 books that year and reviewed about half of them. And uh, at the end of the, at the end of the time, at the end of the year, I thought, man, that was, that seemed like a lot of reviews I wrote. And it wasn't just the crappy Amazon review, like, like, yay, thumbs up. Good job. This book um, is good. This book is good. Or two stars or, or that. Yeah. Yeah. Or <laughs> this book got delivered to me late one star. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> like that. Hate that guy. Uh, it's the worst, you know? Um, but uh, so I, I copy and pasted all of the reviews that I'd written that year uh, into a Word document. So it would tally the word count at the end. And it was like 130,000 words. Wow. And I thought, you know, that would have been really cool if that 130,000 words had been in a book instead of this. Um, and that was, that was kind of my mind change. And that's when I, I started going full on into writing. But but yeah, As you guys said this. We're on the. We're on. I'm on. I'm on my phone. Uh, uh, I got a signal message that popped up from Michael Rothman, who's a famous uh, indie author, and he's like, "Yeah, me too, man." 
I can't yeah. read books anymore. <laughs> so we know That's we got awesome. some other authors listening. Yeah, it's well, they, really they, sh- they should be hanging out in chat. Yeah. CJ, uh, CJ Carella, who was our guest last uh, week, is in chat. Good dude. Cool. Oh, I'm glad you. Yeah, I'm glad you joined us. It, we we got another fan of the show. And oh, yeah, you guys are like, you guys are like, tell us about your book, and then me and Steve ramble for five minutes about how hard it is to read. <laughs> I, 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 whatever. I will say this, um, uh, and this is just something I've, I've noticed, uh, and so I want the audience to notice this too. Um, if you want a dividing line between real writers and not real writers, real writers are always busy, uh-huh. always. Um, so every real writer I know, um, Nick Cole, John C. Wright, Larry, um, all my friends who are writers, they're always, always busy. So the people who have time to sit around complaining <laughs> and not writing or not doing other things related to the business or not taking time off from writing, um, they are not real writers. They are posers. Yeah, I actually Um, took this weekend off to escape because I was just uh, uh, in too deep. And my wife just basically grabbed me and uh, said, come on, we're going. We went to a national park for a few days. I Actually, I got up about the time you went to bed (laughs) so I could be home in time to be on this podcast and have internet <laughs> oh but no so we're just so busy and you're writing all the time and you're thinking all the time and, and sometimes you know you, you just get uh, you just get too spun up in it and uh, that's what family members are for to come along and say no you got to step away from the computer for a couple of days uh let's go and so yeah. Bridget, Bridget dragged me to uh to Bryce National Park you know and we just like hung out <laughs> To not be to not be writing for a couple of days. Yeah, I end so up, it, I end up take, <clears throat> I end up taking all my PTO for work, for for my day job. This is where I'm at. I'm in my my office at work right now because my my home internet was giving me fits. But uh, yeah, I, I take PTO from work so that I can go home and work on uh, oh on books. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's what it is. You got to do what you got to do. Now, when you quit your day job and you just write all day, that's like way awesome. Yeah, that'd be uh, awesome. That that, that does make that that raises your quality of life uh, a lot. One day I'll be a cool kid like that. <laughs> it takes a lot to get there, right? And a lot of a lot of a lot of perseverance and a lot of luck, I bet. A lot of perseverance. Uh, a lot luck. of perseverance. The, the the more perseverance you have, the more opportunities for luck show up, though. Uh, I've had some awesome luck, but honestly, if you can't capitalize on it when it shows up, then you're kind of out of luck. And uh, I don't want to bag on some authors, but uh, I've known guys that were given this amazing opportunities and they just squandered them, you know, because they weren't ready to they weren't ready to work and and get get to getting. Yeah, if some if someone promises you they're going to publish your next 11 books and pay you a, a lot of money for your next 11 books and you don't, you know knock out 11 awesome novels um that's that's an opportunity that you could have had to to jump over the moon man yeah 
knock that stuff out, man. I, I do about two books a year is what I do. And that's like my comfy pace. Uh, that's I, I think for me, that's like my quality uh, area, you know, uh, maybe two. I've done two, three, you know, two and a half usually uh, about. But um, yeah, if you if you get an opportunity and you're dinking around on it, you know, opportunity is going to pass you by. I think a lot of people's dreams, including mine, would be to to get the opposite break of luck, where instead of of getting that opportunity to write for a living to do what you love, and this is one author that we are allowed to bag on on the Geek Gab, you could also get the Rothfuss deal, oh. where where you, you've, there's so much excitement around your your books that they're paying you not to write anymore. You can just play Dungeons and Dragons and write blog posts and, and go to conventions and book signings. I think, I think all the guys on the internet that are on their internet cafe being seen writing, I think that's the deal they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. That's one that it drives me nuts. Cause like those are just hit. Those two books are perennial bestsellers. Uh, and like, like uh, they're always, if you look at the top, top 20 books at any given time, those are always on there. One, at least one of them's on there yeah. at any given day. And the funny thing about it is um, between him and George Martin, uh, not to pass any judgment on them as, as people, they've actually damaged the fantasy business. They damaged every other epic fantasy author because what happens, we've, we've seen so much people are like, well, this fantasy series looks good, but I don't want to give, I don't want to take a chance on it because I don't want to get burned and have it not get finished because fantasy writers are really big on having the story wrapped up. Um, and so there's thousands of fantasy authors writing really good series right now that a lot of fans aren't picking up to try because they got burned so bad by Rothfuss and Martin. So yep. those guys through that just kind of, they kind of hosed a bunch of people. Yep. I mean, I get by fine cause I got, I got a cadre of fans anyway. So even if I'm waiting for the Epic fan, uh, base people, if they're waiting for me to finish son of the black sword, you know, I'm three books into five. Uh, and they're going to wait a couple more years for those. I'm okay. I can still pay my bills based off, you know, my other stuff. Um, but a lot of guys can't, you know. And, and so that epic fantasy is the one thing they're working on. And I don't know. They, they kind of shafted a whole industry there. You know, they give a whole industry a bad rep. I felt yeah. it myself. Uh, I got burned. Uh, oh, go ahead, Steve, if you're going to jump in. Well, I was just going to say this is why you start seeing a lot of publishers um, going to the basket accounting way of, of giving out advances these days um, where I, what that means is, you know, you, they, they buy a trilogy from you and your advance is tied to the entire trilogy. So say it's $10,000 a book or whatever. So until you earn the 30,000 for each book total, you get nothing. Um, and that's their way of, that's one of their ways of, of kind of, I don't know, hedging their bets against that sort of thing. I mean, I knew there's a guy, an author I know named Brian McClellan who wrote the powder mage series. That's pretty good. Um, and I remember after his second book came out, um, he still hadn't earned off his advances and he was really, he was concerned about it. And he's like, man, I just don't, I just don't understand what's going on. And I said, well, once the third book comes out, you'll probably be okay. And then the third book came out, he earned, he earned, earned out his entire advance almost immediately. And then he was good because the trilogy was done. So yep. that's the way readers are these days. Yeah, I saw one of the comments just popped up and says, write the books first before you release them. 
I can't really, yeah, see, that just popped up. <laughs> I can't really do that because I'm writing like five series simultaneously. Yeah. And uh, that's not how my brain works. Uh, I write, I write one series at a time, then I switch to a different series. Uh, then it's pushed to a different one and a different one. And I alternate back and forth because that, that to me keeps me fresh. And my books are about 150,000 words, 130, 150. My longest are 200 uh, K. If I had to write like four or five 200 K books or 150 K books in a row from the same setting, I would get bored and like it wouldn't be as good. So for me, jumping back and forth is what keeps me fresh and keeps me engaged. So like I'll do some Monster Hunter. I'll go do some Son of the Black Sword. Then I'll, I'll go do some Tom Stranger. You know, I'll, and then I'll do a collaboration. Uh, and and that, that, that enables me to like mix it up. If I had to do like Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter, Monster which is what I would do because that's the one that pays the bills. I'm like, holy crap, Monster Hunter is money. And so if I just did Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter would start to suck. Because I would yeah. I would get bored, so that's why I do why that's that's so that's how I do it. I mean, but, respect but, to Nick. Nick is awesome, but I got to disagree yeah. on that one. But uh, you know, one of the interesting things is to go along with this with this uh, comment though is uh, again from some of these same publishers, we're seeing that they're buying a trilogy and they won't release any of it until the whole thing is is completely written. Um, there's a new author whose book I think either just came out or is about to come out from Tor, uh, and and he had this deal like five years ago, um, but they wouldn't publish the first book until all three were done and written and edited. Is that Ronnie? Um, no, oh, no, okay. it's a guy named Scott. Um, but uh, yeah, it, you know, it, different strokes for different folks. I mean, for a lot of people, if, if they have, if they can do this sort of thing and have it all squared, then, then cool. Um, but uh, I know, I know like Larry, I, I would get bored if I had to just write only one thing for a long time. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess that's why it's, it's, uh, it's fun to have different series, different, different genres you can run into. So the, the bad thing is if you're fan, if you have like a fan that really likes one and hates the other one, yeah. ha, they're just out of luck. <laughs> Sorry. And actually, that actually leads me to my follow-up question. I've asked, everybody this lately because a lot of people we talk to have multiple series multiple um irons in the fire and so how how much of your reader base is fans of your stuff like i gotta have the next korea i gotta have the next diamond sort of thing versus people who are in it for the series like i'm a i'm a military guy all i want to hear all i want to read about is larry korea gunning down werewolves like that's my jam uh, or or give me spaceships or or miss me right so uh, what are your what are your fans and readers like that's a hard one to tell um because i got so i got a bunch of different genres and i can see the difference like when i get the royalties and the sales numbers i can see how each one does and i'll do a blog post every couple royalty checks where i kind of like break down where all the different series uh go um, cause I do definitely have a cadre of fans that are like urban fantasy, monster hunter, uh, face shooting only. And then I have people that are like, they like the epic fantasy stuff the best. I do have, I would say probably 70% of them read, well, I said 60, 70% read whatever is like, the, uh, they follow me around. It's like, Oh, lucky Larry's going to try this. I'll go check it out. Not always. Uh, some, some don't do as good as uh, others. I mean, it just kind of varies. But I would say, like, um, 
I, I my guess would be like with Mo- like Monster Hunter would be the biggest because like Urban Fantasy that's that's a pretty famous Urban Fantasy series, and then like something like this out the gate it'll be like maybe half of my regular fans will try it at like immediately and then over the next year probably 75 80 percent of them uh but then it's i've had some series and they'll they'll do that but then they'll kind of take off on their own like saga the forgotten warrior so of the black sword that one's blown up uh that one's actually kind of taken off on its own and that one's actually now rapidly closing on monster hunter believe it or not uh considering there's only there's only three of them out instead of eight uh, so Monster Hunter is still way bigger, but that one's like closing fast, uh, and because it, it's kind of developed its own fan base, which is good because now those guys are gonna go read the other stuff. So yeah, I I, you know I don't know. Um, I, th- this is where I'm gonna find out. Um, you know, my <laughs> my other stuff is uh, my other stuff is is small press published. Um, so I don't know. Uh, we'll find out. I I primarily write horror, and so. Uh, you know, jumping over into fantasy, we'll we'll see. Um, we'll we'll see if if there's a, a pretty good overlap. Um, now, I do tend to do pretty well with Larry's audience. Um, you know, part of that is part of that is I like action and 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 I like monsters and and I write about that sort of stuff. So, and Steve's you know, done some short stories and things that I've put together. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. that have been really popular amongst my fans. So yeah. Uh, and actually the reviews for this one so far are really good. Um, They're really good right now. Yeah. Really good. Actually like pro reviews, regular reviews, everything looks like pretty, I had, I had like, like one review was, was like the lowest review was like, there's too much, there's, there's more exposition than there is in monster hunter. It's like, well, hate to break it to you, but one of them is an urban fantasy that takes place on earth as we know it only with monsters. So I don't need to explain how a car works. <laughs> this yeah. is a fantasy novel. They're driving a big suit made out of dead golems. I can't just say that and let it go, you know. So of course, a fantasy novel is going to have more exposition. I'm sorry, yeah. don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, and and yeah. I think people like readers know when when they're not going to enter in something that they like. I uh, knew someone who said, Damn as soon as I'm on a rant for a sec. Rant away, people. I think people, readers especially, have been trained, have listened too much to other readers and to critics, and have been trained to dislike things that aren't objectionable. They hear certain words, and they think it's bad, and so they say it's bad. True. It's not really objectionable. Yeah, they say, well, this is this is a trope. Yes. yes. <laughs> it, it's it's not exposition isn't bad. Exposition is just storytelling. It's just part of a story. In oh well, David Weber, David Weber's made probably fifty million dollars off exposition. David Weber is the all-time master of exposition. If somebody buys a David Weber novel, they go into it expecting that there's going to be lots of exposition because it's a David Weber novel. And obviously he's got more fans than I do, so he's doing something right, you know? Uh, yeah, so people are weird. A, a lot of times they'll, they'll, they'll take like, this is my personal hang-up, ergo I'm going to put it as a as a negative. You know, and, and oh man, where that really gets you as a writer is if those people are like your alpha readers – uh, this is why I'm always big on don't ever take one person's word for it. You want to listen to a bunch of people. Because uh, otherwise, that one dude is always going to be like, I have a problem with this. 
great. 99 other people don't. And I'm going to sell the book to them. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's kind of frustrating because a lot of the time it's critic problems. Critic problems aren't necessarily real problems. They're just intellectualized nonsense to explain why a critic didn't like a book. Um, and I've ranted about different things like that before on the show. I don't need to go into it. Um, but, I'll agree. I, I, I agree with your rant. Uh, well, they're, they're just tools in a tool belt. I mean, if if you're good at something, if you can do exposition well, then then use that tool. If if you're not so great at exposition, maybe sharpen that tool a little bit and use it better in the future. I well, mean, there's the no. Is, we don't have that much. Like, no, like, no, it really isn't. On? No, <laughs> it really isn't. Have you? As like, as like I read this, like, have you read very many epic fantasies? <laughs> like we, this it's it's a this book's a pretty slippery slope. I mean, it you just get on and you write it to the end, and you're in before you know it, you're there. I mean, it's only it's one hundred and fifty thousand words. And, uh, and there is a lot of action going on in it. Um, so it's, I don't know. I, I, it, it was like early on when, when the e-art came out and people were, were kind of giving us early feedback on, on what they thought of it. And, and like back-to-back -back comments, one person was, wow, this was super, super dark. Holy crap. And then the next person was like, this wasn't dark enough. There weren't enough rats eating people. I'm yeah. Like, well, give me a minute. Like, like, <laughs> let me get to book two and I can, I can put that in guys. Come on. Yeah. The guy, the very specific. And so me and Steven decided we, that's like code now for whenever we need to darken the book up is more rats eating people. Cause it kind of <laughs> like, it's trench warfare. There should be more rats eating people. I don't think you've been, you didn't mention the rats eating people very often. <laughs> and I was like, you got me there. <laughs> yeah. I, so I you just never know. Readers are subjective. You know, re the, the way readers read, you're, you're never going to be able to satisfy everyone. But, um, you know, uh, I, I think with this book, we're going to we're going we're gonna to appeal to quite a few people. Um, Basically, anybody who like, I mean, I wrote like like my opinion on this is if you want to read World War One in a world with fairy tale magic and uh, trench warfare with uh, monsters and big armored suits, basically, that are dead golems. Uh, kind of run like a tank crew, then, uh, yeah, this is the book for you. If that sounds yeah. bad, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, we've been, uh, we've been telling people that, you know, just the quick, the quick uh, elevator pitches, the Witcher meets 1917. And, uh, and, and that, that should give people a pretty good idea of kind of the dark grittiness of it uh, in certain aspects. Although neither Larry or I are, are, are are much into hopelessness. And so, um, you know, we dark and gritty and all that, but, but there's definitely hope in there and there's a lot of fun in it. So, yeah, you know, I'm like, I, I like, I like on the whole, I, I still like, even when I'm writing uh, horror stuff or dark stuff, I still write about heroes. I don't yeah. write about, um, I, I don't, you know, one of my one of my criticisms. I, I read the first Game of Thrones novel, and I just didn't. And this is way before the TV show, and I didn't read the rest because to me that was a novel. That wasn't a novel about heroes. That was a novel about victims and thugs. And yeah. uh, 
Yeah, I, I mean, my books will have victims and thugs, but also I like to write the books about the heroes, uh, the people who rise above being the victims, the people who rise above being thugs, and it's something more. So that's just my personal take. Uh, I don't judge anybody who, who, I mean, if you want, where everybody in the book sucks and murders each other and there is no hope, and then everyone dies yeah. in squalor, oh, that's great. I, I mean, I enjoy that. Good for you, but that's not my thing. I can't do that. I, I like write, I like writing the I like writing about triumph. I like writing about struggle. Uh, you know, I, we will murder the crap out of our characters too. Not everyone triumphs, but you know, you got to have that element there where people rise above. Well, you know, the, the the comment over here from Bradford that says a book you can read while listening to Sabaton. Yeah. 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 Yes. That, that's right. That's, that's awesome. exactly right. That's, <laughs> that's exactly cool. right. Oh, yep. In fact, this... uh, I'm, I listen to a lot of music when I write. I have to listen to music when I write. Um, the the people or the bands that I listened to when writing this was um, was Catatonia and uh, Camelot and Epica at the end. So that should give it. you an idea. I love. It. I was introduced to Camelot uh, a few years ago out on a trip in uh, Kentucky of all places. Cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, he's right. a huge Camelot fan. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to think about this book. I I, I love the idea of a World War One setting. Um, yeah. World War Two is way overused in a lot of popular fiction, and uh, and and I think World War One's used just enough. But it's a it's a great setting to explore. Uh, well, and, 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 and to clarify too, it's history. not on our planet. I'm just so it's World War One equivalent. Uh, oh. basically. So it is, it is a different world. Well, and I don't want to give too much away, but you get in the world, but they, this is a world that's connected to our world. So basically okay. this is the world that's connected to earth where all the old fairy tale legends come from. And basically like things would wander through the mists between worlds. And as man would wander over and wound up on that side, we couldn't get back. And so a lot of the, uh, a lot of the missing people, a lot of the missing tribes, uh, uh, civilizations that disappeared, armies that disappeared. This is where they went. Uh, they wandered through the mists and wound up here, uh, and they settled. And uh, began, And as they did that, they kind of drove back the magic as mankind kind of took over. And that's why on this side, we don't see the fairy tale stuff like we used to, because mankind colonized their world and shoved them out of the way. And now skip forward a couple hundred years, well, thousand years, and now you got a war. Uh, it's it's they basically it's their great war between the two biggest kingdoms uh, in this yeah. world. So it is pretty baller, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's that is a heck of a setup. Sorry, that's my dog. That's my dog barking. <laughs> what? Uh, well, we need to have the dog on the show. What kind of dog do you have? He's a Krasnovian waffle hound, purebred. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a he's a he's a Australian Shepherd uh, poodle, uh, but but he uh, he's very majestic. So we we named him a Krasnovian waffle hound, uh, and and we tell people that, and they think he is actually like a breed, and they're like, oh wow, I've never heard of that before. That's really cool. Where do you get him from? <laughs> like Krasnovia. <laughs> yeah, you can only get it direct from Krasnovia. The uh, well, they're, they're domesticated. Crazy. They're domesticated from the floof wolf of the, of the, of the of the, uh, of the tundra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I believe I saw a floof wolf uh, fossil on display 
at, yes, uh, yes. at the museum in uh, Salt Lake once. I don't know. <laughs> well, I just hope all the brave, patriotic uh, soldiers of Krasnovi are staying safe in this time of tumult. tumult. <laughs> They'll work for whoever pays. <laughs> yeah. Very mercenary. Um, so uh, I want to say a story. Uh, low back, just in case there are people listening who aren't familiar with Larry and his work. Um, low back in the day, I was reading Larry uh, was completely unknown to me, and I was reading Jim Butcher. I was reading, you know, the Dresden novels. And I had finished all the ones that were out at that point. Uh, and I think that there were only... To 10, maybe less. And I wanted some more urban fantasy novels. Um, and so I had just read this zombie series, and I found out that the person who wrote this zombie series wrote an urban fantasy series about monster hunting. And I thought, cool. I'll go read this book. And the entire book about evil monsters who hunt in the dark of night and kill humans and children and people was predicated on the notion of ensuring that the monsters didn't go extinct. <laughs> It was an ecological novel, and I can't tell you how angry that made me. Okay, I'm just so just so you know, for those of you guys, that was not mine. No. <laughs> so that's not my book. <laughs> I had seen a different book that had been advertised or or announced or discussed on Instapundit. And I had just skipped over it and, and hadn't thought about it because it wasn't somebody I had read or even heard about it. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to go buy that book and read it because there is absolutely no way that book could be any worse than this book. <laughs> no way. So I went uh, and I bought a copy of Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter International. They didn't have a free one at that time. I had to actually plunk down the cash. Uh, and I read that and that was an entire novel <laughs> of about uh, an entire company whose motto is Kill monsters, get paid. <laughs> yep. And and this was not a long time after reading the first book. This was a few days after reading the first book. And that's when I became a loyal Larry Korea reader, was because an entire book with the motto of won't somebody think of the slavering child killing monstrosity 
just didn't sit well with me. I didn't like it, and I didn't want to read anymore. So that's how I got into reading Larry Korea novels, is they finally had a book. And and this is what was great about the Monster Hunter book, is if you've watched horror movies, there's always the person at the end who survives all the horror. There is the, you know, dumb blonde last girl who survived the vampire movie. And then there's the cool black guy who survived the zombie movie. And then there's the accountant who survived the werewolf movie. And you take all these guys and they get hired by a company who gets paid lots of money to kill monsters and they're on the same team. And their job is now, after having this horrible thing happen to them and them surviving, to go out and kick ass killing monsters. Uh, And then you learn the other side of the story that they're not just the stereotypes that showed up in the movies, uh, that they have depth to them and they go out and they kill things. So uh, these are real characters. These are the actual characters in uh, in that first novel. Um, And it's great. Uh, And then the series goes on from there. And um, so... I mean, you got set up for, you know, I mean, I I think maybe if you could really arrange for that, Larry, if you could arrange for people to read that horrible book before (laughs) yours, so so Monster Hunter International would look that much better by comparison. You know, honestly, I mean, there's different strokes for different folks, but like... um... How I finally talked Mike Cooper into taking a shot at being a, and, and you guys I know him, he's a science fiction writer now. How I talked Mike Cooper into finally giving it a shot to be a real professional writer is, and we were publishing a thriller called Dead Six together. And uh, I got a number one New York Times bestselling novel, a thriller, and I will not name the author's name. Uh, and I read Mike excerpt, and it was so horrible. It was just awful. It was so stupid. And I read excerpts from it to Mike. So whenever Mike would be like, oh, I just don't, I, I, I don't know if I could be, and I, I was like, and I would read a couple of paragraphs from this book. And he'd be like, yeah, I could do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever motivates you, whatever motivates you. Yeah. For, uh, for Larry and I, it tends to be spite. Lots of spite. Lots of spite. Lots of spite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, me and Steve both- talked about this one a lot on our podcast where it came from, but it was, uh, it, uh, we, we had actually been work for hire, uh, for another company mm-hmm. to do a story set in a game universe for them. And that thing, it just fell apart. The whole project just fell apart. Now the publisher went away. Everything got weird. Five years later, we had this perfectly good group of characters and this perfectly good story. So we just moved it into an entirely different world and wrote this basically, so yeah, it was definitely motivated out of spite because like five years ago we had a really awesome story we wanted to tell and we weren't able to because yeah. business got in the way. Yeah. So it was fun to finally, you know, spitefully <laughs> finally do this and make it our own world instead of their world, which we actually thought was cooler. So yeah, it was nice. We we got to scrub the serial numbers off the the pieces we didn't like. Um, we we're just like, yeah, we had to include that character in that one, and, and that character's stupid. 
So we yeah. scrubbed it, made our own characters, um, you know, really made this world our own. And, and I think that's that's the fun of it for this yeah. one. And there Use just it. isn't a lot out there right now. There just isn't a lot out there right now that kind of fits into this vein, which is why we're we're pretty pumped for it. Yeah, borrowed a ton from Slavic folklore. Lots. Um, and because all this stuff is connected to like the like real world, like so people have come through over the years in the different tribes, you know, so they're descended from different real world cultures. Man, me and Steve have the worst timing ever as we're writing a book <laughs> with a bunch of like Russian characters, you know, Russian type you know, descended, they you know, proto Russians. And uh, man, our release week was was just brilliantly timed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But to be fair, it's not like these guys are. The, it's not like this country is the good guys. So you know, we don't, we at least have no. that going for us. But John hasn't been watching the news, so no, we don't want to spoil it for him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm going to wait. The I'm going to wait till the 2022 series is finished and then catch up at the end. <laughs> yeah, I got. I had a meme I passed around the other day where where you know it shows a couple of greys, the aliens. Uh, looking all like, what the heck is going on? And the and the caption says, um, you know, when you go from world pandemic uh, to World War Three in two episodes. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, COVID's like, over. I guess we got that going for us. Apparently, that they just right in time for the State of the Union. <laughs> I'm like, look, it's it's March sweeps month. Of course, they're trying to juice the ratings. I mean, <laughs> of course, that's. The 2022 writers are just trying to just trying to keep their jobs, man. Yeah, man. Whatever uh, happened to the murder hornets? Yeah, they showed up for one episode, one episode of murder hornets, and they're just gone. The writing on this show is terrible. <laughs> well, it sort of reminds me of your story about the you know the game deal. It's it's a wonder just how bad writing is in games, and you know I'm for most of popular uh, there's a lot entertainment really these days. There's a lot of games I really like, but a lot of the writing is, uh, you know, there's some yeah, good, there are yeah. actually some good stuff out there. Uh, but there's a lot that's just really, well, it's because they're guys that like, uh, they're game designers first. Mm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean they're good writers. And though sometimes game companies actually do bring on good writers. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, like if you go to Gen Con or back, back, back in the days when Gen Con had a writer's track um, before it got woke and exploded. Um, but we we go to that. It was interesting how many guys would just go and kind of congregate and schmooze and wind up with uh, writing deals because they yep. were professional writers with writer skill credits on their own. And if you know a game and know how to play a certain game and you introduce yourself to that company, even if you like your resume is not super good, like you have a novel or two novels, you're like a million uh, a million times better than most people who try to write that stuff. If you if you have that background. I mean, so that's literally what happened to me. Stuff, yeah, go, yeah, that's how Steve, that's actually yeah. your, your first paying gigs. Yeah, my, my, some of my first very paying gigs were, were from Privateer Press. Um, you know, I, I wrote some short fiction for him. Uh, was supposed to have a couple more things, but I don't know whatever happened to it. But um, What was the game? What's your jam? Well, that, that, was, that was War Machine in the day. Um, you know, I don't... I don't. I don't play many of the miniatures games anymore. Um, I play crazy amounts of Infinity. Yeah, Larry plays Infinity. Um, I'm more of a. Gosh, I'm more of an Arkham Horror card game kind of guy at this point. Um, I like cooperative games, and so um, that that's kind of where where I end up. Um, Love it. 
How much did you spend on the Kingdom Death Kickstarter, Steve? Oh, I was, oh, we're not going to talk about that. Kingdom we're not going to talk Death. about that, Larry. That was no. We're we're in game mode now. We're talking about that. This is my portion. Steve of the could show. have bought. Steve could have bought a, probably a pretty nice used car. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was, was an stupid. infamous Kickstarter. Yeah, it was stupid. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I I like the game. I I really like the game. I like the miniatures. I like the world because it's it's very horror centric. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, they had some great art. Yeah, uh, they had fantastic, fantastic. art. Um, but. Uh, you know, my, my wallet doesn't, I think me and my wallet are still on bad terms from that. And that was several years ago. Yeah. I never really went to Gen Con after and you stood in line one morning for some exclusive thing for like forever. I did. Yeah, yeah. I did. That's a pretty, I, I do, I do love the minis though. And actually from Steve, because he bought so much stuff. Cause I kit bash minis for fun. That's my, my, yeah. my hobby. Um, and, and, uh, I'm a pretty good painter. So I got like, probably 50 mini heads from Steve from that he had extra from that Kickstarter. That was cool. I have since yeah, I gave them all up. <laughs> I gave him lots of hands, lots of heads <laughs> in plastic, in plastic, of course, not in real life. Um, uh, sure. I sure. give, I give those to different people. Sure. <laughs> in, in Minecraft. Yeah. Uh, I, I was gonna, I was gonna bring up because, uh, because you're talking about uh, poor writing in games and getting real writers on board. Uh, Gloomhaven was my jam for a while. Um, you look cooperative games; it's not nearly as dark as Kingdom Death. So I don't know if you you tried it or liked it. But... You know, uh, I was part of a game group that um, it, it was right when, when all of the writing for for this book for Servants of War was really getting serious. Um, they were playing; they were starting to play that really heavy. And I backed out. I was like, "No, look, I, I've got to, I've got to get this book done." Um, but I did buy the um, the the Steam or whatever the Steam version of it to to try out. Um, but I haven't I haven't had a chance to log into it yet. But uh, it's, it looks it's, really cool. It's pretty good co op, but it's a perfect example of of what you two were saying about the writers. Uh, it was the the game designer who did all the scripts and and story and everything for uh, Gloomhaven, and it's just dreadful. <laughs> If you like the game, you can just skip the flavor text. If you if you don't if you're not a flavor text guy, just move yeah. on. Yeah, I've I've written for a lot of games, um, you know, both in terms of of like actual fiction stuff, and then in terms of like writing settings and whatnot. And uh, and it, it, it's very easy to tell among those people who who are who who've done this before um, and who haven't, but. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of growth for a lot of room for growth for people out there. I mean, shoot, if it if it hadn't been for me writing these games and and tie-in fiction and stuff like that, I mean, I I wouldn't be half the author that that I am today. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, see, Matthew Martin points out like Michael Stackpole in the in the comments. Michael Stackpole is awesome, um, great guy, uh, and uh, yeah, he's he's made a, I mean, he made a, a giant career out of this. Um, you know, lots of people have. So well, Chuck, Chuck Gannon, who writes for Bayon, I believe his first uh, fiction writing credits were on Traveler. It was Traveler, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. old school, like old school Traveler. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, me and Steve are both role playing nerds too. So yeah, we're we're in the same we're in the same role playing game group. So, which speaking uh, of which, we're playing Dune right now. Yeah, and Steve's the GM, and he's been slacking. <laughs> hey. 
you guys, I believe we opened the show talking about how much time you guys don't have for games. So we're gonna, we're, I know, we're gonna right? cut Steve all the slack he needs. I'm all oh like, gosh. I'm all like, hey, Steve, write a novel with me. Also, keep GMing, right? <laughs> I need you to keep track of what my character's doing during the downtime. Steve, get on it. Gosh. <laughs> Well, and then, and then, and then, right at that same time, the company I works for uh, gets uh, private equity funding. So they're like, my boss is like, "Hey, Steve, um, I'm going to need you to work 80 hours this week. Can you work on that?" I'm like, yeah. Oh no. So uh, yeah, that's that's that was my that was my December. It's even worse too. Steve's boss is also in our game group. Oh my goodness! And he's GMing right now. So I'm like, Steve, write me a novel. And, and and Steve's boss is like, Steve, work 80 hours this week. Also, when are we playing again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, what do you want from me? Uh, uh, to be fair, I, I GM the last campaign, but it fell up. That one, that one just COVID, COVID killed that one. Like no one could ever go. Game. And then every time we'd get together, one of you would almost die. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, we're oh, he's on a ventilator. <laughs> oh, fair. <laughs> So, I heard through the grapevine, uh, and then I saw it confirmed through a post that there was something secrety secret coming up later this month. Uh, is that something you can talk about? Or? I can a little bit because we've teased it now. I have um, everything epic. That is the is a board game company, and uh, they've done they did Rambo, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, you know, great guys, and uh, we've teamed up, and they are doing Monster Hunter International uh, minis and a skirmish game. Uh, so as of right now, we have four factions from the books: uh, Monster Hunter International, Monster Control Bureau, um, <sighs> Lord Machado and his minions, and um, vampires. And so we are doing a tabletop skirmish game with really cool minis. Um, and very exciting stuff on there because I'm a mini dork, and I will be yeah I will be painting one set uh, uh, for the Kickstarter because <laughs> you understand guys I don't I, I don't people try to get me to do commissions and stuff I don't sell my minis ever because then like hobby would become work and I can't do I can't ever do that so I just like to paint for for fun but I am doing one set uh, for that and so we got Owen Pitt minis uh, Earl Harbinger minis <laughs> it's it's pretty cool. Uh, so that's coming. Don't have a lot of details yet. If people are asking like time, uh, like when's it coming out? What's, what's it going to cost? I, I can't say anything about that yet. That's, uh, I'm, I'm just the dude that makes up all the monster stuff, but oh, yeah, well, so that's, you, I'm really excited about that. that. Cause, cause we got some, we got some hardcore gamers, uh, listening to the show and they would love to know more about that. Oh, I'm super pumped. I, Cause I'm a mini, I'm a mini nerd. Um, and so they've been sending me the renderings as we've gone and I, I and for approval and feedback and stuff. And uh, it's been awesome. And so I'm actually really excited about that. Like, guys are saying, um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm not just a mini painter. I'm a kit basher. So I, for every one complete mini I buy and just paint, I, I, I buy like three of the same minis and then diamond saw them into pieces. Uh, I'm a kit basher who doesn't do 3D printing to put it back. So I'm a metal kit basher. I'm old school. <laughs> <laughs> so getting to do my own minis of my own characters from scratch super cool very very excited hey I, I, I can't imagine i'm not a minis guy at all I, uh, other than appreciating fine work 
every Fact. every every role playing group should have one mini painter in it. <laughs> and and you're taking up right now, like you're not. Well, yeah, yeah. It's it's just, it's the verse. So, so Steve knows he's had games. Yeah. One time, Steve ran a World War II uh, Cthulhu game for us, and um, I painted how many how many American. So I painted 104 stair because we were the 101st Airborne. We we're fighting yeah. Nazis and Cthulhu monsters. How many minis did I paint for one session, one battle? Oh gosh, let's see. There were there was our squad. There were there were half a dozen vehicles. <laughs> there were some stuff, uh, some some kind of hybrid mech monster things from from, I painted, uh, from, the, I painted from dust miniatures. Bolt action soldiers. Yeah, uh, lots. I built a table. I built a factory table. A World War Two. It was a train yard and a factory, and I got I got old model trains. For the train yard, yeah. um, and I painted about seventy-five Nazis for us to kill. Yes, um, I painted a tiger tank. I painted a panther tank. <laughs> the only oh, thing man. more satisfying than killing Nazis and monsters is painted Nazis and monsters. Yes, exactly. For one big for one battle session. session, one yeah, session. session. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. well, you truly love what you do. Wow. <laughs> Was, was that that said, that said, my kids have used those a lot. We've they've been using other role playing games since. I've used them for one offs oh, yeah. too, so they got oh, yeah. used. Yeah, they. Uh, I run a lot of one offs, you know, for for like if everybody if nobody else in the game group, but like we have like a weird schedule or whatever. I'll run like a Delta Green game or Savage Worlds game or something yeah. like that. So, yeah, yeah. if the guy sure. if the guy running the current game happens to be working eighty hours a week, we run a one off. So. <laughs> Well, it's cool too because we started the campaign and then the Dune movie came out. And we all watched it. And we're like, yeah, and then and then just life is hard. I actually, I'm excited though because we're gonna play again soon. Heck yeah, yeah. Just a couple weeks. Actually, role playing games help me be a better writer. So that to me is something I I do I, I make the time for that. I'm I, well, I find I, that I'd love to, I'd love to pull on that thread because uh, it's a lot of people's experience and particularly mine that writers are the worst game masters. Uh, because hey. because of their their predilections, I'm a you know, super good GM. Yeah, I, I just I just want to know more about about that. How has it made you a better writer? Oh gosh, for me that's that's where I got all my practice in was was gaming. Um, you know, Larry and I talk about this quite often, um, and it's back in back in the olden days, back when uh, Larry and I first really got to know each other and became friends. We ended up in the same game group. And uh, the GM at the time told us that if we wrote fiction um, in the universe, that he would give us extra experience points. And Larry and I are both accountants. So we're like, well, <laughs> we're mid-maxers. Heck yeah. So, um, so, so we started doing it. And, uh, and I quickly, you know, Larry actually, Larry started it. He's like, well, I'm going to write this really cool story. And I read it and, and I thought, huh, half of this group are professional authors. So if I write stuff, they're a captive audience and they have no choice but to, but to like read my stuff. <laughs> so I started doing that. And I mean, gosh, that campaign and then the, the follow-on campaign, um, gosh, I, I, I want to say, because Larry was posting on his blog for a long time, we had hundreds of thousands of words of, of fiction in there. And so Actually, what I would do I'll, is I'll plug it. If anyone wants to go back and read proto proto Steve, yeah, original proto Steve, Steve. Uh, go to monsterhunternation.com and uh, just plug in um, legend of the five rings. We had two campaigns. The first one was called the burning throne. I think 
Uh, I think it was the Burning Throne. Yes. Don't make Taco Bell jokes. We all did. No. Oh, I, did I had one queued up. No, oh, I had that, one queued up. Nope. You, you I know he did. Nope. And, as soon as, and as soon as Dan said, well, this is the name of the campaign, we were all like, because <laughs> 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 in heart, we're a bunch of 12-year-olds. Uh, and then the Drowning Empire was the one I GM'd. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, we, we wrote like a novel worth of L5R game fiction. <laughs> but and, and so what I would do is is every after every session I would I would write like okay well I'm gonna write something very horror in this one or I'm gonna write fantasy or I'm gonna write um, like a very somber piece or I'm gonna write a, a ro like a romance piece or whatever because I had a captive audience they didn't have a choice but to read my crap anyway so <laughs> so I just kept so I just kept writing and writing and writing and and it was it was around that time that I had my first short story sale. And then it's just kind of snowballed from there. So, hey, I, I'm a big proponent of it. I mean, and then from a from a storytelling perspective, um, when I GM, I look at it. I, I I structure my campaign like it's a big story. Um, you know, I'm you know I kind of storyboard stuff out either either by hand or in my head, and 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 I present it that way. And I'm like, okay, well, where's the okay, well, where's the twist going to be in in this episode? Kind of a thing. Um, and then Larry, gosh, Larry has like 18 million notes and and spreadsheets for all the characters. And but I'm a you get I'm like a really loose GM though. Like like yeah. um, I'm very much rule of cool as we go. So I'm like I'm like I'm I'm changing stuff on the fly all the time based on whatever the guys think is awesome. And so what what that does is it forces me to be more creative. Um, and and when you especially when you got a bunch of writers. Uh, you got to you got to kind of adjust on the fly, but my gosh, they come up with the coolest stuff that then later I can steal and yeah. put into like real books. <laughs> wow, so many cool lines of dialogue have come oh, from yeah. games. Oh yeah, oh you got to find the right players for that. Uh, one of the best That's players right. for uh, for dialogue is my brother. He was always part of our game groups uh, growing up, and you could count on him. We used to hand out. Uh, you know, for lack of a better term, bennies or or whatever for someone who, you know, gets the whole group in stitches or whatever. Uh, that kid would earn one almost every week. Uh, he was he he had the high score. Uh, me and Steve, players. me and Steve had a guy who was not a writer. He was like one of the non-writer in the group. He was actually a bomb disposal expert. He was an EOD guy, so he's a bomb guy, and he was the Tony Tony Badalino, the yep. funniest best guy to role play with in the history of role playing games. I think everyone in our group though has stolen stuff from Tony because he's the non-writer. Absolutely. I've written multiple short stories based on stuff that Tony has done in games. Uh I know Pat Tracy has stolen Tony's characters to use in books. Yes. Uh, yeah, he used it in a short story. Yep, cuz he's the cuz Tony was the one right no one the one non-writer. So his and he was the best role player. So his stuff was always up for grabs for the rest of us. The guy was like a walking uh, dispensary of ideas. <laughs> wow! Gosh, I, there, there's this, there's this one time in one of our games where, where my my character gets blown up, like completely blown up. But I got better. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> and uh, and Tony, because he he worked in EOD, he went to the he, he went to his shop uh, at work, and then the, the the, the week after our game, he sends this long email where he'd input all the specs of the explosive into his bomb computer. 
and then it was and it was giving all of the the stats on like how like well at at 100 feet steve would have been vaporized at 50 feet he still would have been vaporized at 150 feet he would have just been dead at 200 <laughs> feet and he was and he just listed it all out um because that's the kind of character that's the kind of guy he was he was he was super fun to play with even better it but, wasn't but 50 the, feet your character was holding the bomb i was holding the bomb um <laughs> but the funny thing is 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 interestingly enough tony would write stuff on occasion because he wanted the extra xp he was smart and he's uh, a good and, writer and every time he wrote something it was awesome i mean we were just i mean larry and i were just blessed to have a lot of people who were who are really good storytellers in our groups um it, it's it's fun that way but hey you know so hey any, anyone who wants to <laughs> who wants to practice your writing if you happen to be in a role-playing group hey Use and abuse yeah. those group members. Just give out that extra XP <laughs> and you watch the creative writing flow. Yeah. <laughs> we actually cool. don't do that as much anymore because now everybody has like their own writing career. Yeah. You know, it's harder now. It's way harder now because none of us have the time to actually like. That said, even playing the Dune one, I was all like, man, I could do this and this and this and thinking like how I would have written stuff up. And what I should do is just like we should throw it together and then like show it to Kevin. Send Kevin it to Kevin. Anderson. He'd be like, "Yo, Kevin, you want to pay us for this?" Yeah. <laughs> I just I just taught his college class this week, so. <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, we should totally do this. We should that way. Stephen give us extra XP, and we can sell it to Kevin at the end. We'd be like, we'd be like the nerdy accountants of Dune, you know? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, you guys are gonna you guys are gonna chart. Uh, XP per dollar uh, over a course of time. We yeah, got one guy the, in the group the right who's, a, who's an award-winning poet, Patrick Tracy, and so we're like putting together like like our 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 minor house for this Dune game, and Pat just out of nowhere starts coming up with like like slogans like like for the for the for the house, and it's like the most brilliant freaking things ever, and I'm like, man, Pat, don't give us that. That's good. That you need to put that in your own books. That's too good for us to use. <laughs> well that's a cool group you you guys have i'm glad it's paying off i want to um well i just want to mention uh chats loving the gaming our our last guest cj Carella, has the same sort of thing going on lots of writers and uh yeah cj is cool I, I know him from the internet <laughs> <laughs> isn't the internet great i shouldn't give it up no actually this week you're 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 probably smart to walk away yes yeah. Yeah, uh, we are over an hour, so I want to get us a chance to talk about other stuff. Anything else that you guys want to bring up? And I also want to bring it back around to Servants of War uh, before we sign off. Uh, do you guys have anything that you want to bring up? Actually, yeah. There, uh, I think we should pitch uh, one thing that Steve and I do together every week is uh, it's called WriterDojo.com. Um, we do a podcast together. It's writing. It's just a pure writing podcast. It's and it's all business. It's how to write, nuts and bolts. We're not artsy fartsy. <laughs> no, no, we really aren't. No, and so we. It's actually it, it's it's we launched it last year, so we're in our second season, and we've been having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, we just we get together and we just talk about all sorts of crap that, you know, all sorts of writing advice. Um, I mean, Larry and I have been on hundreds and hundreds of panels together over the years, and so. This is just our chance to to give actual nuts and bolts advice. No nonsense. Um, I mean, we're full of nonsense in different ways, 
um, you know, we, we get, we get thrown off onto tangents pretty quick and easy on the shows, but, uh, you know, we, we always talk about writing and we just want to give people the facts. Um, we don't, we don't shade it in any sort of dumb politics or anything like that. We just, we just want people to get better at writing so that they can write stuff and get paid. Yeah. I check it out. I hope you guys like it. It, it, it. I've been having a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you... and then I, I had a, I had a short story collection come out just a few weeks ago too. It's called what Hellhounds dream. So if you want to see, look, servants of war, that's fantasy. I, I do inject a little bit of horror into it here and there because I can't help it. But if you want to see like kind of my horror roots and where they come from, that that's a pretty good collection. Uh, can you give us a taste? Because that was actually my follow-up question. Um, I, I would like to know a little bit more about your horror tastes. What do we? Yeah. What do you get from a Steve Diamond story? Ooh, um, typically for me, you're going to get um, uh, interesting characters who are put in awful situations. Um, I, I like. I'm a big fan of putting characters uh, in situations where they have to make the best bad decision. Um, Yep, that's it right there. So uh, I, I quite, uh, in this particular collection, um, I, I took a lot of stories that, I've, that, I have, that have been published, some that didn't. And at the end of every story, I tell you why I think it got published, why I think it didn't get published, and what I learned from it. Um, it's a fun little collection. Um, some of the stuff in here I, I wrote for game companies. Uh, some I wrote for Bain. Some I wrote for various various places. Um, but uh, no, I... For me, uh, everything is character driven. Um, I like good characters. Uh, I like strong characters, and and I like them to be. Um, I like them to be competent because then it's it's fun to mess with them. Um, my my horror fiction tends to be kind of dark. Um, I think there's I think there's like fifteen stories in there, and I think three or four of them involve torture scenes. Can't help it. I was always told, write what you know. I mean, what do you want from me? But uh, you are the dungeon master, after all. I am the dungeon master for all intents, and, and I game too. And, uh, and so, an yeah, this... for accountants, torture comes naturally. So, <laughs> so one of the stories in here, I wrote specifically after going through a really rough audit at work, and so I wrote a story about an accountant. Um, during during a Roman Empire, who goes and murders a bunch of people? So, um, look, you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do. Um, but you know, I, for me, horror horror always ups the stakes in any story that you put it into. Um, horror's a horror's a tool in a tool chest, and so um, if you if you want things to be a little heavier for people, uh, a little harder for people, you inject horror, and so that's what these stories are about. And and that's what the and that's what I did with with Servants of War was I injected horror everywhere I could. As sort gun of nutted a, it up. Gun nutted it up. I've, I, that answered my follow up question. What was the what was the division of labor here? Who who per, who added oh, what? Oh gosh, and it sounds wonderful. Oh gosh, that's actually. Per, yeah, we actually for, did a whole for, episode of our podcast where we went through line by you know, yeah. not line by line, but okay. So fast version is we came up with the idea and brainstormed it together over several sessions. The first of which were five years ago, six years ago. Um, 
I did the detail outline where I did a scene by scene outline. Um, I kicked that over to Steve. Steve did first pass rough draft, which actually, so that is the big chunk of time consuming labor. It goes to Steve. Uh, yeah. So Steve put a lot of hours in that. Uh, and he turned to me about 100,000 words, right, Steve? Yep. It was about 100,000, yeah. So Steve kicked me over 100,000 words. I went through, tra- and then we had another brainstorming session where we went through like stuff we had, like now that we've written it to look at. I trimmed it down to about uh, 90,000, I think. Yeah, about 90. Uh, so I chopped a bunch off, and then I wrote a bunch more and got it up about 120,000, I think, is what it was. Um, Somewhere around there. Kicked that back to Steve. Had another brainstorming session. Uh, Steve then wrote the last couple scenes that got us about, I think we're final is 145. Yep. Right? I, I think-ish. Uh, and then that was it. That was the final version. It went to Tony Weisskopf, who gave us a few more things, but nothing huge. We didn't have any huge Yeah, edits. nothing crazy. No, we didn't have any big edits on it. Yeah, we had some small like like paragraphs here or there. Um, and then that was it. So, yeah, that, that was kind of the division layer. And so – collaborations are weird you got to kind of we, we've actually done episodes on collaborations too and how you work them out um but yeah no it was uh it was a really interesting project and uh yeah so steve steve did the biggest body of time consuming stuff uh it, it was was on steve but like i don't a lot of times like the the, the more the more famous author will phone it in I don't, you can ask anybody I collaborate with. I don't phone anything and everything I do, I go over every single, every single bit. Um, but man, I think the final product of this, we were, we were doing our brainstorming sessions and we were like looking at stuff. We're like, which one of us came up with that? And neither one of us knew, like we couldn't remember at that point because we both done it so much that uh, there's like, did, was that mine or was that yours? We didn't know. And so if, if you get to that point, you know, you got a good collaboration. Yeah, it, it was interesting. Um, we were just talking about that the other day and some of the really cool ideas, we kind of looked at each other and said, was that you or me? And we couldn't remember. And, and I think that that's why it works so well. Um, you know, I think we, we naturally gravitate to certain characters. Um, Larry writes, Larry writes big, uh, you know, big heroic key characters or characters who, uh, were really really good with sniper rifles shockingly and then uh and then i'm really good about writing um super murdery dirtbag characters shockingly so that that's just how it gravitated it worked yeah really, we would it worked really well like as the project go on different one of we would take ownership of different characters uh of like basically because who who liked them better and then it's so like like that author got the final say on everything that came out of that character's yeah. mouth or or brain um, that way they're hundred percent consistent throughout the entire book, regardless of which one of us is writing, which scene. Oh, that's Chris- a cool technique. Christoph saw Steve. <laughs> yeah. Christoph saw me. Uh, yeah. He's a, he's a, he's our scummy secret policeman. Yeah. Oh, um, love it. We, we really are on the edge of needing to go, but I do have one other question, uh, that that's been, I, I, I'm kind of curious about with uh, Monster Hunter memoirs um, that uh, John Ringo up and wrote and then came to you and said, hey, I've got this trilogy set in your world that I read. <laughs> um, which which is always a shocker when you hear that. You're like, you did what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
was there, and I understand that after he wrote it, you went through and, uh, you know, helped adjust things and edit and stuff to make sure it fit in with the monster hunter world. Was there anything um, that changed in monster hunter based on those books? Uh, yes and no. In that there was a lot of like a lot of what I did, the reason it turned into a collaboration instead of just John writing in my universe was he sent it over to me and I sent back like 200 notes and it was all like world building stuff. Like I can't do this, can't do this. This doesn't work that way. This goes over here. That's not how that happened. That kind of thing. And John's like, Hey, you want to just do all that? And then we can make it a collaboration. I was like, okay, cool. Um, there was stuff that I did change what I had planned for monster hunter, but I had to be real careful because it was something I already had established in the monster hunter universe. I had to make sure I stuck with what was already established. Um, if there was stuff I had planned that John did something different than I had planned, like how that would work out. Uh, if, if what John did was cool, it was cooler than what I had come up with. And I threw my old idea away and went with his. So yeah, there was stuff that he changed. Uh, there was characters he introduced and ideas he introduced that have gone on that have appeared in the series since. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, I'm, I'm doing the next memoirs with Jason Cordova. Same kind of thing. Jason introduced some characters that are like, okay, they've now I've teased them in the regular series. Sarah Hoyt uh, had some stuff that I hadn't thought of, and so that just kind of gets integrated. So yeah, anytime you anytime you do shared world stuff, I got to be the custodian of the world, and I got to be real careful what I do and do not allow. Um, but otherwise, if like the other people playing in the world come up with something better and I can make it work, then, oh, yeah, I totally take the better one. Same thing with the uh, the Monster Hunter Files, the short stories. A whole bunch of those uh, from the, the other writers. Steve had one um, about the combat yeah. exorcists that one of the, his characters became a recurring character in the main series. Uh, in, in both mine and in the memoirs uh, showed up as a character that Steve created. Uh, Jim Butcher had um, uh, the rats, uh, and the rats have they just appeared in monster hunter bloodlines again so yeah totally totally um shared world stuff yeah always going to influence there big time is there a last question absolutely last question is there a plan for another um crossover with uh agent frank's and uh Maberry's character oh uh uh yeah we did we did um uh weaponized hell together yeah um, no plans for another one at this time. I mean, though I love working with Jonathan and I think, and Jonathan wrote Frank's another time because I hired him to do a story for the monster Hunter files. And I've also written in the Joe Ledger universe. I wrote a, I wrote a Rudy and church story, uh, in, um, in, in one of his collections, uh, no plans for another crossover now. Cause that was actually for a specific book. Uh, it was an anthology called urban allies where different characters from different fantasy or urban fantasy novels hooked up to work together. And they did an urban enemy with one after that was bad guys. Um, so no plans right now. Uh, I, I'd work with Jonathan again in a heartbeat though, because he's a great guy. He's a really, really, really good writer. Um, and I had fun doing that, but nothing planned at this time. All right. Cool. Oh, that, that was fun. I'm out of questions myself, so we better call it a day. Because uh, apparently you guys don't have time for nothing but writing. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, I'm glad to have you guys back, Larry Korea. It's cool to see you seven years later. Uh, we should do we should all do this more often. 
Uh, I really appreciate it. Everybody in the chat was really excited. It's great to see new uh, new fans of the show, new fans of yours uh, in the chat. I'm not going to name names because I don't have all day, but I appreciate everybody listening. <laughs> I, I hope everybody checking out this later uh, really enjoyed the chat we had. I particularly enjoyed the gaming chat, and I could go all day on that, but we better move on. Oh, me and Steve could do just that for hours. We're hey. Oh, yeah, I did. I, I do want to plug. I'm gonna, I'm going to plug someone else's channel for right now. If you guys aren't following the Joy of Wargaming on YouTube, uh, that's a great friend of the show, author John Mollison. He's a huge miniatures wargaming guy. He's always trying out new systems, old systems for the first time. Uh, you guys should love it. Uh, I I hardly recommend that to you and uh, everybody listening. Um. Uh, but with that out of the way, I hope uh, I hope everybody who's interested in the, the the guns and horror fantasy of servants of war checks that out. Uh, you've definitely piqued my interest, and I'm not much of a reader, so uh, I really appreciate you guys coming on. And uh, with that, I'm going to quit rambling and let Daddy Warpig send us off. All right, uh, I want to thank uh, Larry and Steve for coming on the show. Wish them all the best of luck with Servants of War. Uh, I want to thank everyone uh, who came in and listened live. This has been Geek Gab. We're here just about every Saturday, just about the same time. That is 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Uh, YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. That is YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. Or you can get us on the Apple iTunes store on SoundCloud.com or on the Google Play store. Just do a search for Geek Gab. You can get us on the device of your choice or just listen to us on the web. We are signing out for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.